Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Co-op Couch, the Arnie's gaming series. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my player two, Matt Johnson. How are you, buddy? And what games have you been playing lately? I'm doing well, Austin. Happy to be here. It's always fun to talk about games with you. As for games I've been playing, I don't think I have too much new to report. Um, been playing a lot of Call of Duty Warzone, of course. That was the game that saved us during quarantine, basically. Saved a lot of people. I know, yeah. Of course, recently we've been diving headfirst into Outriders, which we'll talk about. But other than that, I gotta say that's been kind of it. I haven't been playing too much unless I've been um, in a party with you guys, to be honest. So what about yourself? Yeah, biggest thing for me that I've been playing by myself is I just started playing Spider-Man Miles Morales, and I have been really enjoying that. It's really cool to see a new Spider-Man character swinging through uh, the streets of New York. I um I really love that game. I just thought it was somehow more refined than the full version and just a more fun story, more fun characters. So yeah, I actually like that one way more than the uh, Spider-Man PS4, to be honest. Honestly, I, I only made it about halfway through Spider-Man PS4, so I'm now excited. My, Miles Morales has now made me more excited to go back and finish up the PS4 one. And it'll also be cool because I have to imagine that... um. Now that Miles Morales has been absolutely just such a smash hit, I mean, Miles was obviously in Spider-Man PS4, but you have to think that there's going to be some kind of a like character switch opportunity in like the Spider-Man sequel, you know, where we can just switch between Peter and Miles kind of in and out, and I cannot wait. I think it's going to be pretty fun. Ooh, I'd be totally down for that. You think they'll ever do a full-on Spider-Verse game, since they already have the two titular characters to that? I wouldn't be surprised. And I mean, Spider-Verse, of course, the animated movie, it seems like... With No Way Home, the live action movie coming later this year, which apparently is going to be a live action version of the Spider-Verse that's so big right now. I have to think that they're probably going to build towards it in a game somehow. I hope so. I'd be so down to see that. Um, anyways, though, on today's show, everybody, it's finally time to cover a new game. We'll be talking about the latest release from People Can Fly, Outriders. This is a studio behind other shooters like Bulletstorm and Gears of War Judgment. Is their latest looter shooter worth checking out? Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. But first, Matt, should we do some news for the month of April 2021? Let's do it. I always love doing the news. So, Austin, how about you start us off? Yeah, I guess we'll start things off here kind of on a bummer. But um, unfortunately, one of our most anticipated games of 2021, Deathloop, has been delayed until September 14th of this year. Yeah, um, definitely a bummer. It was one of those games where we were getting so close to release that it kind of felt like... It was just finally going to happen. It had already been delayed before. We've been seeing trailers for years, so it just felt like finally May is going to be when we get to get our hands on this game. And they pushed a little bit, not too far, but um, I guess I can't say I'm too surprised after this last year. We've seen so many games both delayed to 2022, just later in the year. Some have been delayed indefinitely, so it's not too surprising, but yeah, definitely a bummer for sure. In the press release, um, Arcane Lion, the studio behind Deathloop, did uh, directly cite COVID and working remotely and all those sort of issues going into the delay. Um, kind of crazy that this game was originally supposed to come out in 2020, and now yeah. we're going to be almost a full year removed from its prior release date. Yeah, I could be I could be wrong. I feel like the first like announcement of this might have been, it was probably 2019, but it could have been 2018. So either way, it has, like, we've been seeing trailers for a long time. There's been so many trailers that have been story-based and gameplay-based. And now that it's been delayed, I'm sure we're going to get more trailers with E3 and stuff. So we're going to be seeing a lot of this before we finally get our hands on it, for sure. Well, and you personally have been kind of this game's hype man for me. You're the one that's gotten me excited for it. So I got to imagine you're pretty bummed. Yeah, I'm pretty bummed. Arcane, kind of the this is um, made by Arcane Lion, like you said. But Arcane, in general, the Bethesda subsidiary, was responsible for two of my favorite games of that generation, Dishonored and Dishonored 2. And to see them making this kind of cartoony action game but with almost the exact same gameplay and powers and stealth and all-out fun combat like i just cannot wait to play it and yeah i was a bit bummed to see it delayed to be honest i think actually most of the games that got delayed if i'm i don't even know if i was ever going to play them honestly so yeah this might have been like the first one where i was like ah oh, we were so close but you know we'll see i think you know if they get more time i'm sure it'll just be more refined by the time we get to play it yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. We definitely don't want them to go the cyberpunk route and release an unfinished game. So I'm all for, after after seeing what happened with that game, I'm all for studios kind of delaying their projects and releasing good good quality content. Very true. And speaking of cyberpunk, they're not quitting. I ain't quitting you. Uh, cyberpunk, the devs behind it at, over at CD Projekt Red said they will not be abandoning the game. They're going to continue to make it sell. And unfortunately, despite new updates... 
the bugs are still there. <laughs> they still exist. <laughs> and uh, there's really no sign of next gen releases. I, if I recall, the original idea was like at some point this year, they would have those PS5 and Series X, like the proper upgrades. It sounds like that is still going to happen, but it's not really a priority because they have to fix the game. So that might not come until later, like maybe even next year. So, I mean, what are our thoughts? I mean, I bought this game when it came out and I got not very far into it. It didn't look great. <laughs> it ran not well. And I'm sure if I had gotten more into it in terms of the story, it would have dragged me in. But just I was honestly kind of bugged down with no pun intended, the bugs themselves and just the slowness and the emptiness of the world that I, I, I kind of left it aside. And you and I had talked about, I guess I'll just wait until the next gen update. But now that's not really a priority. So I don't know when that's happening. And I mean, what do you think? Do we even what, do they want to play this still? Or how's this even going to work with what they're trying to roll out? My desire to play it has not changed. I still do really want to play this game. I just don't want to play it in its current state. I don't want to have a poor experience with it. And it seems like that's like the only way to play it right now. I'm still baffled by these developers saying that they think this game is going to be profitable for years to come. Like, I don't I don't know. They would have to basically release an entirely new game to like gain people's trust back and their ability to fix this one. Because anytime they release an update, people then uncover new glitches with the game. And, and some of the glitches are being caused by the very updates that they're putting out back into the game. Yeah, that's a great point. That is That has been one of those consistent big things. The updates have fixed little elements, but they just introduce a whole other set of bugs somehow. And it is unfortunate. I mean, I know you were such a big fan of The Witcher 3. I got into it a little bit. I I never really got around to finishing it. I still would like to at some point. But obviously, CD Projekt Red built up so much clout, like from kind of, I mean, I'm not even in a bad way, but they, they really were nobodies until The Witcher 2. And then they really kind of just started becoming this huge developer so fast. And they were even they they were kind of like the little guys in a way. It's like, well, no, we don't do microtransactions. We, we're here for you. DLC is free kind of like that's that stuff that people love to hear and then cyberpunk was like the biggest release ever and it was just they really kind of shit the bed I, I don't know what the issue is like maybe the um distributors just needed it to come out and it wasn't ready and it had already been delayed so many times trailers have been coming out for like 10 years before the game released so maybe they just kind of gave up and put it out because clearly this game needed at least another year of work and Maybe they just weren't allowed to have it. So I don't know what happened, but it is not done. Yeah, it really seems like it just kind of like corporate greed got in the way, like executives really wanted their money and their bonuses. Um, it's, it's crazy, too. People are finding like just small things like typos in the game, like just like <laughs> things that are not a developing issue. It's just like un, like people not paying attention to detail and still putting stuff out. They just weren't done and they were told to put it out. And, and this is what happened. Yeah. Overall, though, I do think I still am in the same boat as you, which is Whenever it is, I don't know when it will be. I'm sure it'll be at least another year, maybe two years before they put out like a proper next gen update that's for the most part bug free. They have all the updates in there, maybe some free DLCs along the way. When we get to that point, I have no qualms about playing it. In fact, I still look forward to it from the parts I was able to get through. I was like, I'm not super hooked on the story yet, but I do like what they're setting up with all the main stuff and the side quests. So I definitely will play it whenever it feels like it's in a done state. I just don't know when that will be. Way back when they first released the trailers for this game, there was like wall running and like flying cars, like features that they weren't able to put in the finished product. I'm really hoping that we do get to a point where they can add some of those cool kind of attention grabbing features back into the game with these future updates, because I think I made it further than you did. I think I got through like the first act maybe of the game. And when I play the story, I really did enjoy. It's just the fact that like driving around the city feels like if you go back now and look at like GTA 4 on like an yeah. old console, like it feels hollow. Like it feels like that type of game that got released today. It just feels so unpolished and, and so not up to current competition when it comes to games. Which is fine. And I guess that should be said. It doesn't. Cyberpunk never had to be the greatest game of all time. It's just it was one of those things where. The developers that were making it just made The Witcher 3, which I know a lot of people consider to be one of the greatest games of all time. And then it was one of those things where like trailers have been coming out for almost a decade. So it's like there's so much hype. It keeps getting delayed. And by the time it came out, it was just there was maybe too much hype behind it and it couldn't live up to it combined with all these bugs and it not being done. So it is unfortunate. I think the team behind it worked as hard as they could. But like you said, I, I do think some corporate greed got in the way and it really soured a lot of people on that developer and just that game in general. 
I will say, though, some of my new favorite things is, is watching people discover new glitches in the game. Yeah. And all these videos have been so funny. My favorite from launch day is, is somebody set the Jurassic World theme to Cyberpunk, <laughs> but on one side is what we were promised, and the other side was like people walking around with their genitals hanging out or just being polygon cubes. <laughs> That's a great video. I love it. I love it. Okay, so our final bit of news here. Um, I don't know if we call this a bombshell article, but Bloomberg did release an article detailing Sony's focus on really only wanting to make blockbusters. Um, in this article, they did reveal that there were plans for a Last of Us remake and canceled plans for Days Gone 2. This was interesting. This was like, whenever I first read that, just that headline, which was Last of Us remake and Days Gone 2 not happening... I, I mean, I wasn't excited or sad. I was just like, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, Days Gone, I, I have, it's one of those games I haven't downloaded. I got it for free, like one month where it was free, and I just never got around to playing it. I still would like to. I've heard very mixed things on the game, but I do know there's a very passionate fan base. Um, that being said, I wasn't surprised to hear it got canceled, the sequel, I mean. But then when I saw Last of Us remake, I was like, what? What does that mean? So the idea of, like, using Naughty Dog, who could be working on so many other cool things, whether it be stuff for Last of Us, how about this idea? The sequel. That could be cool, <laughs> like, seeing that <laughs> stuff. Or, like, new IPs. Like, instead, they're going to have to put time into making the original Last of Us look and play like the sequel. It's like, yeah, I mean, that sounds cool, but it's not even remotely necessary. So, yeah, and going into that article, like you said, it really, like, makes Sony look not great. I mean, like, we don't need all these big blockbusters. You already have the market on exclusive properties. Like, this just seems like a step too far. So what did you think when you read it? Yeah, this article was interesting. Um, Essentially, what it detailed is there's this group within Sony called the Visual Arts Service Group, and they help finish other PlayStation exclusive projects with, like, animation, art, or other, like, content development. The developers within this group wanted to break away and have more creative freedom. So they knew they weren't going to be able to just go to Sony and say, hey, we want to make our own game. So they thought, we'll go to them, we'll pitch a remake, those are easy to sell, they're kind of a guaranteed success. And they were like, let's do The Last of Us remake, we know Sony will go for this. Sony kind of gave them their unofficial blessing, but then they never formally acknowledged the group or gave them funding to complete the product. Yeah, so do we know at all like where that stands currently after that? Like, where Where is this remake standing now based on that funding news? Yeah, Sony has kind of pulled it away from this like pseudo group within the visual arts group and they've given it back to Naughty Dog. So Naughty Dog now has control and uh, and it is moving forward with the remake. Yeah, and that sucks. Like it, it makes me feel a little bit bad for the group that was originally pitching it because again, do I want to play a Last of Us remake? The game was brilliant without updated graphics and gameplay. So no, I don't care. I'm probably not going to play it. But that really is how a lot of like smaller developers kind of break into the industry. It's like they make kind of these um, remakes with better graphics, better gameplay. And it's just like the movie industry. It's like now that you've made that and it's successful and people liked it. Hey, now I guess I feel comfortable giving you funding for your own project. And the fact that they were disbanded was like, ah, that kind of sucks. And again, w w with what I said earlier, the fact that it reverted to Naughty Dog is almost even weirder. Like I don't understand why... They're putting time into this. And again, maybe they don't maybe they don't want to. Maybe Neil Druckmann and Naughty Dog have no interest in that. It's just part of being a part of Sony. They have to. I don't know. So the article does go on the detail that Sony is really only focused at the moment on making exclusive blockbuster hits. Yeah. So it's more successful studios like Naughty Dog essentially receive endless funding with the expectation that Sony's investment is going to pay off. And for the most part, it has. The strategy has worked for them. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, it is also creating a rift within the company. Um, Sony has canceled smaller projects like Gravity Rush and Everybody's Golf, who are not smash hits, but have their own niche followings. And then the most notable cancellation is a studio called Sony Bend, who is behind yeah. the first Days Gone, tried to pitch Days Gone 2, um, and they were instead assigned to assist Naughty Dog with other projects. And again, it's unfortunate. It's just like whenever all these groups merge together, it's like whatever Sony Bend was putting out, whether you like it or not, they had their own vision. Whereas now just assigning them all to help on Naughty Dog projects, it's like, it's just not going to feel as special. So there's like less voices getting out there and more games feel the same, which is unfortunate. At the same time, looking at like the Sony Bend and Days Gone developer, like putting out, hey, here's a petition to make Days Gone 2 happen. It's like, I, I appreciate your fight. I just, I don't see it happening. And 
it, yeah, it does make me sad. Again, I didn't even play Days Gone, and I heard it wasn't even that great. But I, yeah, it is sad that they kind of just all got folded into Naughty Dog to focus on remakes and other projects. It's like, I don't know, just kind of a bummer. I've heard that Days Gone wasn't great at launch, but then it got kind of supported throughout its launch yeah. cycle and has kind of gained this cult following. Um, the developer, I don't know if you saw this, though, the developer behind the first Days Gone kind of got in trouble this week because he was getting on the fans saying, well, if you wanted Days Gone 2, you should have bought it at launch. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Essentially getting mad at people for not paying full price for the game. That's what it was. Yeah, I was trying to remember what I remember the developer did something. It wasn't just a petition. Yeah. OK, so that makes sense. And again, I'm one of those people. I, it was literally free for a month on PS Plus or whatever it is. And I was like, OK, I'll download it. Haven't gotten around to it yet. And I definitely do want to play it or at least try it out but yeah it's like i get it's part of the business but you can't blame fans for that it's like if, if it gets put out <laughs> on a store for free it's like what am i supposed to do and you can't blame them retroactively like my sequel isn't happening because you wouldn't pay 70 dollars for my game it's like sorry <laughs> like i can't can't help you bloomberg does argue that uh this business model of only focusing on blockbusters essentially results in less choice for players and really only hurts gamers in the end. What do you think about that statement? Do you want studios to only focus on blockbusters or do you like the smaller kind of niche model, putting other smaller games out that maybe won't be as great as our big budget AAA games? Um, for me, for someone that's a bit more familiar with the movie industry, it's kind of the same thing. I love hearing about directors going and making these huge just studio projects um, and like they're pretty upfront like the only reason I'm doing this is because I think I can make it good and also because if I make this then I'll have the freedom to do whatever I want after and that leads to some really amazing independent films and just smaller budget movies and I think it's applicable here with games um, it, and it, you're right it does suck I, I do think it probably leads to a lesser industry with the focus being on these huge budget exclusives it's like I feel like they could have more artistic freedom, the studios could, making these smaller games that they're actually passionate about. Um, and that leads to some just as iconic games. Maybe they don't cost as much or look as great, but they're still just as good. So yeah, I mean, if we get to a point where it's only blockbuster after blockbuster, I really don't think that's the strategy they should be taking. I don't know if it hurts players like Bloomberg is arguing. I think it ultimately it hurts smaller developers or, or people just trying to start out and make their mark on the gaming industry. For me, as someone who like I've gotten older and I have less time to play everything that gets put out now, I kind of really only do want to focus on the well-made, totally polished games that are going to give me a great experience. So I can kind of understand going after the only the only blockbuster model. But then at the same time, I feel bad for all the people that are trying to kind of follow their dream and make the games that they want to make, too. Yeah, I agree. And for people that do end up, unlike you and me, that have more time to play games, um, it is unfortunate because in the future it could lead to less variety between games. So I guess it's one of those things we'll have to wait and see kind of how the industry forms around this plan. I agree. We'll have to see. I wonder, it kind of seems like Sony's faced a little bit of backlash from this article, but not yeah. certainly like the like burning down the building or anything like that. So I'm curious to see if this does have any impact on Sony. I know I did recently saw that Sony Bend was, um, after some protest, was actually taken off of the Naughty Dog project and then now developing their own original story. So those developers, at least within Sony, were able to kind of protest and, and get to do their own thing, but they still aren't getting to make Days Gone 2 like they had hoped to do. Um, before we move on, us, I know that was supposed to be our last point. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I didn't even think to add this to our list. We did have some other big gaming news this weekend, which is Mortal Kombat. The movie really kind of smashed records when it comes to COVID movies, if you will. When it comes to new releases, it basically made all of its money back <laughs> in a few days. It really killed it when it came to streaming. It was like, I think, three plus million households streamed it. So on top of the box office that made, I mean, really did great. I know we, I guess people will see when our episode comes out what we thought of it, but at the very least, I think it's cool that um, video game properties that are being developed into movies and TV shows can be profitable because I think it could lead to some really exciting stuff in the future. I'm kind of upset that it's this movie that is like getting <laughs> all the buzz because it's a fine movie. It's not like an outstanding video game movie. I actually do have a lot of hope for the upcoming Borderlands movie that that is going to be the movie that breaks through with that cast behind it. Good call. But yeah, I mean, it is cool. Everybody out there, if you do want to hear our thoughts on Mortal Kombat, we will have that episode coming to you soon next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Okay. And with that, I think that is going to do it for us for the news this week. Um, let us know on Instagram at the Arnie's what news stories stood out to you this month. And if there was anything you wish we had included and talked about here, 
and let's get into the main topic for this month's show. When we come on back after rolling our segue music, we will be breaking down Outriders. So let's get into our main topic for today. We're going to break down Outriders. But before we do, Matt, we have to welcome in a very special guest this week. It's our very own Keith Baker from our main movie episodes. Keith, how are you? Welcome to Co-op Couch. Whoa. I'm excited to be here. First time on the Co-op Couch. I guess we got to scoot over and get a a third controller powered up here. Yeah, I was going to say our player three has hit the building. So excited. Well, Keith, thank you for joining us this week. We are, of course, talking about Outriders. And for anybody listening that doesn't know, Outriders is a cover-based looter shooter. Uh, You're playing on the planet Enoch, which is trying to be colonized by humanity. It's kind of humanity's last-ditch effort to uh, continue their civilization. However, things don't work out. You kind of wake up in the middle of a 30-year war between different factions vying for power, and there is a mysterious signal that you and your crew are trying to track down, which may contain the keys to uh, saving the planet and gaining new resources. Hmm. It's all news to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I skip every cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> Something I don't ever do in games, but this one warranted it. So I, I guess on that note, why don't both of you kind of give me your opening thoughts on Outriders, and then we'll get into our roundtable discussion. Sure. Um... I've really been enjoying it, uh, despite what I just said. I, I don't really care too much about the story or the writing or the acting or any of that when it comes to the gameplay, which is obviously the main feature in this medium when it comes to video games. I've been having just an absolute blast playing with both you guys. Um, the way they kind of made the loot priority, the combat so fun. It seems like every new weapon that's better than the last just feels like such an improvement. The way they incorporate powers into all that and just... The exploring itself, I've been having such a good time. Yeah, for me, I mean, this has been an interesting game because I haven't really been playing too many uh, different video games the past few years. And you guys know this, which is why I'm not really on this couch a lot talking with you guys about (laughs) this kind of stuff. And I'm not really into video games as much as you guys. But from my experience and what I've been playing, you know, recently, which has probably been mostly PUBG and Warzone, mostly what's it called? Battle Royale games. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was kind of fun trying something new and different out, and uh, I guess it kind of brought back a little bit of like old school stuff. I would say. I mean, uh, and when I say old school, the stuff that really kind of resonated with me with this game was it kind of like seems like a, like a arcade game in a in a way, but just like higher tech and more modern. And I just kind of like how you're constantly kind of progressing through this different weird world that they. Uh, established and then as far as my initial thoughts in the story it's a little weak the voice acting is really bad <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure and like Matt just said I'm not really sure what what exactly is going on and when Austin mentioned what the goal is of this crew that we're playing as <laughs> it's all news to me too I really yeah. didn't know that what was going on so uh cool sounds good I'm just enjoying shooting some aliens up that's all I'll take away from it. Same here, for the most part. Yeah, don't, we're, we're going to talk about the story in just a second. Um, but this is a cover-based looter shooter with a twist. You heal by doing damage and killing enemies. Uh, Matt, I'm going to throw this question to you. How did this mechanic add to the gameplay, and how did it change the way you would normally play this type of game? Because you can't just stay in cover. If you, if you do that, you're going to get wrecked pretty quickly. Yeah, this was really cool. I really loved this kind of just general game mechanic, to be honest. I think... Um, it certainly changed my perspective and just how I normally play games, like you said. I, I I, think I would describe myself as a pretty tactical gamer when it comes to this sort of situations, even with something like Warzone. I think I try and maybe even sometimes I'm over, um, what's the word? I'm maybe doing too much like when it comes to strategic and ideas and being tactical, like I said. So the idea that this game really does prioritize the combat itself and doing damage, even when... Like, because in every other game, basically, it's like, oh, my God, I have like one little sliver of health left. It's like, I just got to hide for a second to get some health back and get my bearings here. It's like, no, you got to get out and you got to like shoot something so you can get some health back. So it's really kind of made me feel a bit more 
I guess, uh, aggressive when it comes to the style of gameplay. And it's been really different and really fun and sometimes scary. When you get to some of these higher level bosses, it does get pretty intimidating whenever you start to lose health a little bit and having to really kind of go all out in order to actually get your health back as opposed to losing it. So I've really liked it. It's been really cool. It really does put you in in unique situations, especially when you get to the higher level enemies, because you kind of get stuck in situations where it's like, I need to do more damage right now than I'm receiving. And it kind of really just puts you on that clock where it's like, I better expel every single bullet in my gun and every single one of those bullets better hit. Because if that doesn't happen, I'm going to die and we're going to have to start this thing over. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Not a game I've been used to, but yeah, it's it's hilarious where I'm like, I got to go find some health. I got to go find some health. They're like, no, just start shooting the shit out of some people <laughs> yeah. and uh, get it back. Yeah, but it's interesting. How has playing with this mechanic kind of felt for you, Keith, since you don't play a tons of these types of games? Have you felt, has it been awkward, like feeling like you should be staying in cover or have you gotten used to it pretty quickly coming out of cover and kind of trying to stay aggressive for the entirety of a battle? Yeah, I guess at the beginning it was kind of awkward and you kind of, it takes some getting used to not having any health or at least, yeah, not having any access to health immediately. I mean, you will get health, but, um, like you said, I mean, it teaches you to be more aggressive, and and if you want to get health, and you, you gotta you gotta kill some some aliens. So no, I find it to be more fun though. I find it just like it's just constant action, and um, yeah, I think it just kind of makes you better at the game. Yeah, I agree. I think it definitely does do a good job of putting you in situations that will kind of make you better and more prepared for later situations, which has been pretty cool. And also, it's just more of a, just a funny thing I noticed, which is like in every video game, whenever you're fighting a boss and they have like all these lackeys come after you, it's like, why are you just doing this just so you can be like every other game where it's like the boss fight has to also throw other enemies at you for some reason. But this one, there's a purpose. It's almost like they're helping you. They're throwing out like these little like grunts at you so you can shoot them and get health back. So it was just something funny I noticed where I was like in boss fights with both of you guys. And whenever an enemy would pop up that wasn't the boss, I was like, oh, thank God, I got I to shoot that thing real quick. <laughs> so it's been, it's been cool. Very different, but very engaging and fun. So I do want to talk about the bosses in just a second, but I think it's probably worth right now breaking down the different classes that are in the game and uh, and then we can kind of go from there. So why don't you guys each tell me what class you played as and what your favorite ability has been so far of your class? I'm playing as the Devastator. And as far as like, you're talking about like the skills we have or the power moves, is that what you mean? Oh man, uh, I liked all three of mine. My And my three were, I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, I know one of them, he kind of goes up into like a leap and then crashes back down into the ground and kind of smashes the ground, which causes some damage. The second one that I've been using is the bullet uh, reflector. So he, as he's getting, as you're getting shot, you're kind of collecting all the bullets. And then once you collect as many as you want, then you press the two bumpers together and then it shoots it back at the people that shot him at you, which is, which looks pretty cool and does some, does a good, good amount of damage. That's the skill that you have that I'm the most jealous of. Every time I see you use it, it looks so cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty badass. Uh, that's my favorite one, probably. And then my third one is just your basic like power hit. You're, you don't really do anything special. You just pretty much smash the ground and just causes some damage. I think Keith and I, both of our classes have been very close range focused. I'm playing as the trickster. So we really prioritize that kind of uh, you do your most damage and your skills are the most useful whenever you're closer to the enemy. So for me, I've just been having a blast. I mean, I've actually been two of the three skills I'm using right now are the starter skills. I've just been having so much fun with them. So with a temporal blade, I basically just get close up, do a sword slash, and everybody in the area gets slowed down, loses health. And the visual element's cool because like you just see them turn into a skeleton before they turn back, which is kind of fun. But the big one, which I think all three of us have been able to kind of combine elements, is the bubble. So I basically just get close to enemies, throw up a big bubble, and anybody that moves inside of it is super slow. They slow down. They're in slow motion, which is badass. And then also, it's kind of like a shield as well, like Keith said, because any bullets that enter the bubble are also slowed down. So it's a good thing for me to like regain some of my health, too, because I can just throw the bubble up in like a last-minute resort situation and shoot some enemies before their bullets hit me. So it's been awesome. Then my last one, I kind of switch out. Right now, it's the one that I can throw up just like a ray of... um whatever you want to call it. And then anybody that I hit in the area, like just go slow motion, but they also start to float up in the air. So we can kind of combine all of our effects on that too. So it's been a blast kind of mixing up those powers for sure. 
Yeah, your time bubble has been the funnest to like play around with, even from like being a bystander, because I can see you pop it up, and then I can jump in there, and, and anything that was coming at me will also get slowed down too, so it, mm-hmm. it adds a really cool team element to the gameplay. For me, I've been playing as the Technomancer, which is kind of your basic, uh, I guess it would be a support class in other games, so I have the ability to basically do a lot of tech-based powers. So my main one is I have this rocket launcher called a pain launcher. Um, It shoots some missiles and you can add different effects to it. So right now, whenever the missiles hit, it will freeze every enemy in their place. I also have a munitions thing I can switch out so I can choose between a minigun or a rocket launcher. And those are just your standard. I get like six missiles with the rocket launcher and like 200 rounds with the minigun. And then the last one that's really helpful for a team-based gameplay is I have a uh, healing weave, which I can activate and kind of restore everybody on my team back to half health. That's been a lifesaver for sure, especially in the boss fights. Yeah, for sure. So what has it been like kind of working as a team together? How have we been like kind of pairing our different skills together? Um, do you think all of these skills kind of add to the cooperative gameplay that Outriders is focused on? I think definitely. I mean, that's been the best part of the game. I think we've reached a point now where we kind of have that unspoken thing, which is like whenever things get dire, I kind of just like sprint into the middle despite how low my health might be. I throw up a bubble, then Austin throws down a turret, Keith leaps in the air, drops down. So it's just been really cool. And we like all get our health back basically by hitting everybody. So kind of finding out new ways to combine everything has really been a highlight for sure for me at least. I mean, like you said, Matt, it's like it kind of just comes second nature after a while. Like whenever we're trying to kill a boss or whatever, um, you know, it's like, oh man, he's only one bar left to go. And then we all just go at him at once. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. Yeah, it's fun. 100%. So kind of along that point, I think the boss mechanics have just been really cool. Because I mean, like we said, there are all these grunts that are easy to kill, but then you have these high level enemies that some of them have the same powers you do, but some of them just have the ability to kind of like resist your powers essentially. So they have these bars that fill up. And then whenever you do enough damage, they do it. And it basically just means that none of your um, superpowers will work on them. So you have to kind of utilize the timing and the cooldown of your abilities. So you can't just use them all at once or else you'll waste them. So I think the boss fights have been really challenging, but really satisfying too. Some of them are really long, really just difficult in general, but I haven't reached one yet that I thought was bad. Um, it just feels like super satisfying no matter how many tries, like you feel good whenever you like finally beat one. I will say though, I think the only reason they've gotten more challenging though, is just cause all of the more difficult bosses just have more health. They all kind of have the same mechanic where a boss, when they use their ability, like a ring will appear on the ground and it's basically just like, okay, get out of the ring and you won't take any damage. So I do kind of wish they had changed up the way the boss fights overall play out, but at least every boss you fight kind of has different abilities and that does add some variety to the gameplay as well. Yeah, I'll, I mean, one thing I'll add on the boss fight was that first one, I think, that we all three played together and I felt like that was the hardest one oh that we God. played. Yeah. Where it took, like, what, four tries at for least. some reason? <laughs> because there were so many different monsters and I guess other humans that kept coming in around him as you're trying to get him. That one was miserable. I think we were we were also still like trying to figure out our abilities, and I guess kind of like we just talked about, at that point we weren't super in sync yet. You know, we were still trying to figure out when to drop things and all that stuff. So it definitely kicked our ass and kind of forced us to get better and understand how to combine things for the future fights. Sometimes you'll come across a few that are also your class. So myself as a Technomancer, I could be kind of going up against another Technomancer, and they're throwing down turrets just like I'm throwing down turrets. Uh, There's another ability where there's a cryo turret that will freeze you in place. A really weird experience of of a boss throwing a turret down on me, freezing me in place, and I'm just a sitting duck there. And it's like, so this is what it's like to be on the other side of my abilities. Like it's, It's been a really unique dynamic that I haven't seen executed as well in other games, just in your basic combat. Totally agree. I I actually haven't had too many instances of that. I think I might have run into some other tricksters, but I don't know. I think I think Austin's just so good with his um combination of powers it doesn't feel as difficult. But I know whenever we've run into other like altered enemies, it has been pretty challenging for sure. But when it comes to just like the other types of enemies, like the humans, monsters, and whatever, I mean, Keith, have there been any like highlights or ones that like you particularly dread? Man, I mean, there's some big ones that, like, the I guess the big bosses that are always kind of annoying. The ones that I always, I, I guess, get the most satisfaction out of killing have been those, like, the dog-like monsters, like the ones that, yeah. like, run on all four legs. Yeah. That are always scary. at you. They come <laughs> yeah. fast, too. They're freaky, and they're like, yeah, they're just running after you. 
Those are the melee monsters, and and the melee classes of both the monsters and the humans like are actually really hard to beat. Like if you get swarmed by one of them, they're gonna knock you down. Yeah, it's just scary because of how fast they move. Because like the boss guys will just probably they, they mostly just stand in one spot the entire time. They really don't move all that much. Mm-hmm. I guess one thing I'll mention on the bosses though is whenever they do the I guess it's like the red circle thing. Like if you're standing yeah. in that red circle, then you're you're screwed. The, but that's the cool thing that what you're talking about is like. If and Austin, you mentioned it earlier. Whenever like the bosses drop down that red circle, it's like, oh shit, something's about to hit me. But you have no idea what it's gonna be. Like in that instance, yeah, maybe they'll throw like a wandering flame at you, which is just this annoying pillar of fire <laughs> that is constantly coming after you. I've been in some where like if you're in that red circle for even a second, if you can't get out of it, you just start freezing. Your entire character just goes frozen solid. Sometimes they'll just throw a fucking rock at you. Like it can be any type of power, and it's like. I don't know how to dodge it. So you, it, it's one of those things like trial and error in this game is kind of an interesting element too. It's like in some ways you have to watch what happens in those circles so you know how to best kind of go after them in a weird way. Was there a specific enemy that you dread the most whenever we come upon some? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's because I could be just blaming the wrong thing, but just genuinely at this point with like the level that we're at, I think the trickster class just isn't really suited power-wise for those... um really tall like alpha monsters at first in the game they were really quick kills but as we've gone on i mean austin can attest to it i mean there have been numerous times where like i go down and, and the way that like, going down in this game works is if you get if um if you get down lose all your health once you have the ability to revive yourself you could you could wait for your teammate to maybe get you and save it but the point is you can revive yourself once but then the next time you go down you're dead and your opponent and your um ally has to revive you at that point um, and there's been numerous times where Austin has like had to like revive me from like that death state whenever we're going up against all these really tall alpha monsters. I just think that my abilities as the trickster are not really very good close range. Um, they also have the most maybe Austin, I think you might agree. And Keith, they have the most annoying ability, which is they can um like they can like make their skin armored and it lasts forever and you can do some damage on them, but it's basically nothing. And I have gone down so many times in fights against them. I just, that's the one, whenever we, whenever we come up on them, I'm always saying to Austin and Keith, like, God damn it. Like, I'm going to get my ass kicked again at this part. <laughs> Those guys are tough, especially when there's like six of them in combat and they're and there all jumping are on you. six of them sometimes. <laughs> that's not a hyperbole. The flying wasp type enemies. Oh my God. I can never dodge their poison balls and they shoot it like a machine gun. (laughs) It's just the worst experience every time we fight them. Also, another thing that annoys me is the the snipers like up in the like the oh yeah up in the like the top of the hills or whatever. Knock you down for sure. Fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm always like, oh yeah, let's jump into this fight and start I get all cocky and start like (laughs) shooting the shit. And then all of a sudden my health is all the way down already. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) I just got in here. What's happening? I'm already down. (laughs) And then we like revive you and you go down again. <laughs> yeah. We're saying annoying, but like annoying in a good way because it yeah. makes it keeps the combat challenging oh, and yeah, you do sure. really have to strategize when you get into combat. Yeah, it's cool because it it makes you wonder in the game with that initial mechanic of like you have to kill to heal. It's like, why is there even cover in this game? And it's like, well, that's why, because they have long range enemies. So it's like, okay, so there actually is reason to get in cover and also try and like blind fire and take out enemies strategically whenever you have those long range attackers like the snipers and like austin said with those like bug enemies that like shoot shit at you so they they did a really good job of designing like all like the combat areas because initially it's like well if i just shoot at them i'll get health back so i'm not gonna hide but there actually are reasons to hide sometimes for sure um so this game does have mods and and like crafting and customization so I do want to touch on these mods and and, the, and how they impact the gameplay. Um, why don't you tell me about kind of some of your favorite mods that you've come across and, and how they've impacted both your classes and your weapons? Yeah, I know Austin out of all three of us is the one that has spent the most time with the mods. I've, I've had to like kind of force myself to figure out the system later in the game because it's just more necessary. Um, but it's a really well done system. I actually find it pretty satisfying kind of changing up the weapons and like the rarity and the type of damage you can do as for my favorites i think um in general i've been having a lot of fun with the reload mods and the what that means yes, is essentially those are the best yeah so you have mods that is like basically what happens is you can set it on one of your guns and anytime you reload in combat um you can 
put an effect onto any enemy that you shot with that clip. So for example, if I have a full clip and I have this mod on, maybe it's a frozen reload mod, and any enemy I shoot within like that 30 round clip, the second I reload, every single one that I hit freezes. So then it gives everybody time to kind of hit those enemies and it just gives you like space to move around and maneuver and try and get that health back. So that's the most fun I've had is with those reloads. I as like the trickster, I feel like I also have those for making people slow whenever I reload. And yeah, I just have a, I have a blast with those because it, it, it feels like I can finally like take a breath during some combat scenarios. My favorite thing about the mods is uh, so it has a visual and gameplay impact like whenever you equip them. So if, if you equip, for example, that frozen reload mod, you will actually see the impact of equipping that mod while you're playing the game. And I think it's super cool. It's not just like a cosmetic thing. It doesn't like make your gun look cooler or anything like that, but it actually does have a substantial impact on the gameplay. One of the biggest ones I found that actually kind of makes the game more fun is typically when you dodge, you roll. But I found mm. a mod that instead changes it into a warp dash. So instead of instead of rolling... I'm now dashing through enemies or dashing across the map and it totally changes the way I like move in combat. And it just like, it's crazy that they have this level of customization that actually changes the way the game plays. And to that point, it's also just cool that all of these things, like you said, don't just have a cosmetic thing, but like it's visual, but not only is it visual, but it's visual for everybody in your party. So like whenever Keith's running around, maybe he doesn't have that mod on, but whenever I have that freeze reload, every single enemy that I shot on Keith's screen are also frozen. So it benefits everybody depending on what mods you have. So it's, it's a cool element. All right. So let's talk about the whole leveling up thing. We get skills like we talked about. And then we also have class points. So there is a skill tree where you can kind of improve just general stats with like damage and health and also in like just how effective your abilities are essentially in terms of combat. So what do you guys think of those? Have those been working for you so far? I've really enjoyed the skill points, like unlocking the new skills. Like that was exciting each time. I think with the Technomancer though, just all of the later skills I unlocked weren't as cool as like the first four that I unlocked. So I've kind of just been using the same three that I got at the beginning of the game and just kind of switching them out every now and then. As for the class points, though, I have found some pretty unique skills that uh, also, like we've talked about with the mods, really do impact the gameplay. Um, I've had some unique skills where like if I freeze an enemy, which is pretty common for my class, it then also makes them vulnerable and puts them into a weakened state, which allows you to do more damage. And that is also like a visible impact on on the battle. Um, and then there's just some generic points where it's like, improve your health, improve your damage. So overall, I think I think everything that they've done has really, the whole point of this game is to do damage. And they don't really lose sight of that for any of your upgradable things. Every, everything that you do always relates back to doing damage and making you uh, able to kill more and gain your health back faster while in combat. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Austin. Um, I think I had my three original ones, and then I think I switched a couple of them out. And those two that I switched out just weren't as cool and weren't as weren't as good. The bullet reflector. I mean, that one I switched out for a little bit, and I was like, man, I missed that one. That one was probably my best one. Yeah. So I brought it back, mm-hmm. and I was just like, why would they Why would they put that one at the beginning? They should put that one later on if that one's the better one. That's a good point. Exact same thing happened with my rocket launcher. I wasn't using it for a while, and it was like, man, I kind of missed like, throwing that down and clearing out the battlefield, so I just went back to it. I did the same thing with one of mine, too. Um, I, I, I kind of agree with you guys. I think the skills, I think, at least based on the way I play, I've really liked the Temporal Blade and the Temporal Bubble, but those are both starting skills. So I was surprised that the later ones, which took time to unlock, I wasn't super interested in. They didn't really do too much. Um, so yeah, maybe if they would have spaced those out a little bit, I would have like appreciated them more. And then when it comes to the skill tree, it's something I'm curious about the end game, which is we haven't, you don't get class points at every level. So it's like, it's kind of a rare thing. And I mean, we're pretty far into the game and we've barely unlocked any class points. So I'm curious, like maybe in the end game, do you unlock them faster? I don't know how that works. So I'm just curious how that skill tree might fill out as time goes on in the game, because we're pretty far in. So I don't know. The end game is something I'm really excited for. Uh, It essentially is just 13 dungeons that you unlock basically at the end of the game. Oh, I didn't know that. That sounds really cool. You get a new camp too, essentially. So that's like your starting base. And then from there on out, you can execute these dungeons. You get better loot, better gear. Um, I'm not sure how the skills or class points really ties into that. It really does just continue kind of the looting and the shooting uh, once you beat the game. 
the end game was people can fly's way of uh going around dlc because their whole mission for this game was was to release a completed product so by having this game come already with the end game built in and, and these 13 dungeons it's just their way to not make you pay for more content to be added into the game cool with me Anytime that we can get like a developer giving us all the content they can and finding ways to give us free stuff that's still cool, like I like it. I'm down with that. Um, so yeah, World Tier, you mentioned it briefly, Matt. Essentially what that is, is you can uh, adjust the difficulty of the world you're playing on. So just like you're kind of gaining experience every time you level up and that sort of stuff or killing enemies, uh, you're also gaining experience that goes towards your World Tier. Uh, so, so the higher the World Tier, the more difficult enemies are, but then the better the loot is as well. And you can also change that anytime. So if you're in a section that's like too hard, you can lower the world tier and make it easier. But then the trade-off is you get uh, less loot rewards as well. Another satisfying element. Every time you unlock one, it's like, oh shit, things are about to get really hard. Or harder, I should say. But you get better weapons, you get better loot, so it kind of counteracts it. But yeah, things are definitely starting to get to a point later in the game where it's like, damn, yeah, some of these boss fights and just regular fights are taking a lot longer than they used to. So it's kind of a... um, I don't know what you would say. It's just like there's a there's good balance between like having a high world tier and the loot and the actual time you put into the battles. So I've, I've really been liking that aspect, too. Now that we're playing on the higher world tiers, essentially every drop now is like a rare or legendary weapon. So we are getting like tons better gear than we were at the start of this game. For sure. So what do you guys think? Is the story even remotely interesting or have you skipped everything? Uh, No, it's not. And yes, I have skipped everything. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy the the terrible voice acting in it all, though. That's true. It's so Where bad, we it's going? kind of watchable. That's a good impression. Wow. I mean, I'm Is an outrider. some kind of note? It's like, no offense to these people, but it's not like the lead character is less compelling. Every voice actor in this is terrible. So <laughs> they just didn't care all around. Everybody's bad. It's to the point, too, where it's so bad it's comical, but the game isn't trying to be funny. Like, I think the story would be better received if they were actually trying to be funny. If they're, like, trying to make a riff on the looter-shooter genre or, or that sort of stuff. But instead, they wrote this crazy, serious story that they want you to take serious, and, and it's dark at points, too. But the acting and writing just do not support their vision. So it just comes out to this weird comicness of, of the story is so dark and serious. But then we have voice actors overacting and, and overdramatic writing. and But the game isn't aware that people are going to be laughing at this instead of taking it serious. I mean, I think we all three knew that it was a bad sign whenever they introduced a main character whose name was Lord Seth. What? <laughs> what? You have Darth Vader. You have Saruman. You have character villains like that. And then this game is, here's ours. His name is Lord Seth. <laughs> the legendary character in Trenchtown named Angry Poncho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Keith, you're so close to that point. There's a character literally named like Austin said Angry Poncho. It's like bad pov. It's something just absurd. The game, I don't know what they're trying to do. <laughs> and what's weird about the what's weird about the story is like everybody's so confused about where everybody's from. They're like Everybody are, you, are you are you from Earth? It's insane. It's insane. And there was never a to be fair, there was never a point. Even when Austin and I played the demo of this game, which was just the opening mission, um, I was never interested. It's not like the game went on for a while and then I was like, I guess I'll skip everything. I skipped everything from the start. It's just <laughs> so bad. The one positive I can say, and I will be honest and upfront, is that as the game has gone on, um, the side quests tend to be a bit more interesting. And also, and I, I do think as we're kind of closing it out, there have been uh, a little bit less skipping scenes because some of them have been a bit more interesting as the game has gone on. That being said, we don't have the full context because we skipped everything in the beginning. <laughs> well, one more, one more funny thing we got to mention though is that every time you kill a boss at the end, it's the same <laughs> cutscene with you just point blank shooting your pistol into his head. It's the same cutscene over and over. Uh, it's so bad. It's so bad, dude. Oh. I don't want to talk about it anymore either. It's not great. Without question, the worst part of the game. And it does drag it down. Like, I agree with Keith. At some points, it is, like, so bad it's good and funny. But for the most part, it's kind of baffling that it was even what it is. <laughs> so, I don't know. Let's just move on. Do you guys think they should have just released this game without a story and just have it be, like, a series of 
just maps that you play through uh, to earn gear and do the fun looting and shooting? Or do you think you actually need a story for these types of games? I think you could have had like a quick like prologue story, but not not what we got where you're like, go turn on this sensor thing on the top of the hill, then run back. I'm like That was fun, and then I get guess. get like 12 cutscenes <laughs> along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I say just get dropped in the shit. I would have been fine with like a light story that just like kind of pops up after each mission, like maybe one cutscene per mission. But yeah, the way they did it, it's just so much and it's so goofy to the point of you're laughing at it, not with it. And yeah, it's just kind of bad <laughs> overall. I think the perfect comparison, the amount of story you would need in this in this uh this game would be I think Left 4 Dead. Like you know, mm. you know the Left 4 Dead characters. Good call. Good call. And you kind of know you kind of know a little bit of their backgrounds, but not not enough to where you have to care. They're just there working together to kill zombies, and I think that could be that could work the same way in this. You're just here working together to kill aliens. And the smartest thing I do in Left 4 Dead too is is the characters themselves comment on their origins, so you don't even really need cutscenes. Yeah, it's exactly. More just like if you want to pay attention, it's there. If not, you don't need to even focus yeah. on it. Totally agree. That's a really good call. I kind of wish, after thinking about it and hearing that, that they would have thought differently about uh the way they went about it because it's just way too much time covering it and it's not even close to being worth it i'm excited for outriders too i if, if they get a sequel because the gameplay is really fun and so yeah. i think now that they can have all this player feedback know what people want going into a second game i think outriders 2 could be something really special for sure for sure that being said i'm still excited to play more of the first one to be honest i'm excited to see where things end and how the end game works. So I'm, I'm definitely down for the ride. Well, it's a great way to close things out, Matt. What do you think, guys? Should people play this one? Yeah. Yeah, so give it a try. Also, to that point, Austin, worth noting for sure, if you have Xbox Game Pass, this game ha- will come at no additional cost to you. For everybody else, even if you're on next gen, it'll cost you 70 bucks. But if you have Xbox Game Pass, uh, you can get this one, like I said, no additional cost. And that's what the three of us did. And it has been... I mean, it's a lot of content for not much, so definitely worth at least trying, to your guys' point. For sure, for sure. Game Pass continues to be one of the best deals in gaming, for sure. Um, And with that, everybody, I think we're going to end things there. Uh, Thank you so much for listening today. If this is your first episode of The Arnie's, this is Co-op Couch. This is just a special sideshow of The Arnie's where Matt and I get together to talk about games. Um, Our main episodes come out every Tuesday. Uh, We're usually breaking down newbies or TV. We are currently in the middle of our ongoing MCU retrospective and review series. We just talked about Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh, That's a bi-weekly series. Our episode next week will be on the new Mortal Kombat movie. And with that, um, at the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. If you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that. And like I just said, we'll be back next week for Mortal Kombat. Player two, disconnected. Player three, disconnected.